Motherhood Incorporated proudly presents Military Mom Talk Radio live on toginet.com. Co-hosted by Robin Boyd and Sandra Beck, the owner of Motherhood Incorporated. Military Mom Talk Radio is here with a powerful platform for women to discuss their ideas, issues, and concerns with respect to the military lifestyle. Military Mom Talk Radio encourages you to share your experiences of being a military wife and mother. This show is dedicated to educating your family about the many resources that are available in both the public and private sector. And we'll be sharing helpful information from women all over the world. We'll cover everything military from helping a family member cope with post-traumatic stress disorder to navigating government programs dealing with family issues to the struggles of deployment along with being a working mother both in and out of the home. This is Military Mom Talk Radio and here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off. We're going to be visiting today with Suki Forbes. Uh, Suki has written this great book called The Angel in My Pocket. I'm a big fan. It's helped me and my girlfriend, uh, Janet, who lost her son at the age of four uh, tremendously. It's a wonderful story of resiliency and how to handle what, you know, for most of us is unimaginable loss. And um, that does affect our military families from time to time when we lose a child, uh, whether it's a child through natural causes or because of their military duty. And so Mm -hmm. I have invited Suki on the show today to talk about what she learned and how she has recovered. I don't know if you ever recovered, but how she's, the resiliency she's shown and able to articulate is, is just amazing. So I'm really happy to have Suki on the air with us today. Suki, can you hear me? I can. I can. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandra. I'm so glad to chat with you today. Me too. Me too. Now, Suki, for the listeners who aren't familiar with your story, can you give us a little rundown on what the sequence of events were that led you to write this magnificent book? Well, first of all, thank you. Um, Well, I lost uh, my middle child, Charlotte, at the age of six. Uh, My other children were four and seven. And uh, like anyone, I was utterly uh, leveled by it. Um, It is an unimaginable loss. And yet fairly quickly, it became clear to me that I had really only three three options for moving forward. One of them, or uh, three options, one was I could die, the other is I could live, and um, the third was I could exist. Now, dying wasn't an option because I had other children and a husband. Existing struck me as um, a place that was not going to provide much comfort going forward. It seemed like drudgery in and of itself to be moving in and out of my days in a state of just existing. And the only thing that made sense for me was to choose to live, and yet I didn't want to. Um, but I was able to go so far as to decide that I wanted to live and make that an end goal. And once I did that, I spent my entire uh, focus of my grief trying to find a way to make that happen. And it was not a directly forward process, but it was a long-range goal. And along the way, and I would say this was for sure a multi-year process, and it does become a lifetime process, but along the way, um, 
it became clear to me that I was, because I had chosen to embrace life as best I could, I felt wrong at every turn. And I didn't find the resources that helped comfort me in terms of giving me hope for someday feeling okay again. And so I just took, kept track of my process. And when I got to that comfortable resting place after a few years, I decided that I was going to share my story in hopes that it would ultimately end up being the book on someone else's nightstand or sitting on the shelf at the library or at the bookstore that might provide some hope for, if not necessarily a happy ending, but a comfortable resting spot and not just a place of being um, okay, but actually feeling that they'd embraced the lessons and they'd felt some level of not just acceptance, but a real way of getting back into life. And so the difference between my book and a lot of what's out there is that The Angel in My Pocket is really about the full journey of being absolutely laid bare, figuring out how to lower oneself down into that deep crevasse of sorrow, and then slowly coming out and ultimately, frankly, being a better person um, for the lessons that were placed in my path along the way. Well, and I think, Suki, one of the things that touched me when I read your book is that it was so validating for any of us who have lost, you know, and I'm just going to let loss be anybody's loss, you know, because who am I to say whose loss is is worse or better or, or you know, fact is loss is loss. And, and when you articulated what that loss looked like, what it tasted like, what it felt like, like when I was reading along uh, with you, you know, I was crying at points. I mean, just tears pouring mm. out, you know, from my own grief that had been kind of stuffed down and trapped in there because it didn't have enough, in my mind, value as other people's grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and only in sharing my discussions with my friend Janet, who lost her son, Jack, um, we got to the point where she's like, Sam, your grief isn't any less than my grief. It's just over a different set of circumstances and you've got to grieve it. You've got to feel it. And when you talked about going to that dark place or going to that place, the bottom, I think you called it, you know, so that you can come out of your grief. Do you think grief is something that we have to like walk through? I I don't even know how to put the words and you probably have better words than I do. Well, I don't know. I think you do a pretty great job um, putting it putting it out there yourself. I, first of all, I do think that that is such a risk that we run as human beings, um, sort of trying to line up or, or or one up each other in terms of loss. Well, she lost a child. Well, she lost two. Well, she lost a husband. Well, she lost a parakeet. You know. Uh, Loss is loss, and grief is not necessarily death either. It could be a loss of a dream or um, an illness or a bad diagnosis or a divorce. This loss comes in all shapes and sizes. I have, a, I have a son who's going off to college. That's a sense of grief. It's joyous, but it's also grief. So I do believe that grief is part of the human condition, and we all want to run away from it because it hurts. And it takes us to a really vulnerable place. But if we're willing to go to that place, we learn a lot about ourselves. And we learn how to be really deep, kind human beings, which, frankly, is something that so many of us have lost sight of. 
Um, but grief is not, uh, it's not unique to any one person. I, and I think that very few people have made it to the age of, say, 40 without experiencing a major game-shifting uh, trauma or uh, loss in their life that, that they've struggled to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other. And so I don't think that anybody has a corner on grief, and I don't think anybody escapes from it if they're paying attention to, to their life. Unsuki, I'm going to ask a question that uh, came in through our social media when I was talking about our book today, and one of our gals that's listening today wants to know if when you open up, she said grief store is how she put it, when you open up grief that's store, <laughs> isn't that really pretty? You yeah, know, that is. Grief store, she said. Scary too, these, but anyway, I understand yeah. what she's saying. <laughs> but she said all these other griefs walked out, mm. and I was curious, and I think it's a great, you know, thing that, that Lisa, you know, who wrote in and said, you know, she wanted to know with you, because her experience with grief was different, but when she opened grief's door, other grief walked in. And I'm curious to see if you had that same experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think not only when you open it the first time, all your griefs walk in, but I, but um, maybe another way of saying that is it's kind of an additive experience. And so not only does everything walk through that first, when you open the door the first time, um, but also each subsequent grief that you experience takes you back to that place in some ways. And that's, and that's also hard. You have to sort of get a hold of it. Um, and I, and in some ways that's a very, that, that could be very negative and, uh, discouraging, but it also, it just ties together our emotions. And, um, to get back more specifically to what you asked in terms of opening grief's door, um, one thing that I discovered pretty quickly in my process and in the process with my husband and with other friends in the grief group and people that we met is that we don't, we don't walk in on day one to our grief as fully formed, happy-go-lucky, perfect people with perfect lives. So not just all of our griefs are hiding, but our whole life, our whole backpack of experience is on our back. So we need to process that too. And we all look at that in different ways. And that really informs how we move through life as well. And so it's a really complicated dance for anyone to, to figure out how they're going to move, because what works for me is not going to work for somebody else and vice versa. That said, I do think there are a couple of very um, specific um, tools that can help anybody if they incorporate, if they, if they choose to use them to, um, to get themselves from that, from the bottom and buck back out and into the flow of life. See, and that, I think, is so important because we as a culture, we have certain things, especially here in the U.S., that we do for grieving. You know, yes, we have mm -hmm. a funeral. Yes, we have the graveside interment. Yes, we put stones on the – some of us put stones each year on the on the, the gravestone head. And, you know, there's all these different things that we do for grief, but there's really no – um, I found with my experience, Suki, people would be like, well, I want to pray with you. And that would feel good at the time. You know, I felt loved and supported and, mm -hmm. you know, prayed with. But then there was like this overwhelming thing of like, 
what do I do? Like once you realize that doing nothing and existing, as you called it, doesn't work, mm-hmm. when you reach out for grief materials, for grief support, a lot of it is just technical. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I liked your book. It didn't, you know, like uh, there was a point at which you were, there was some point in which you broke down and I just was bawling. Like, I'll never Mm -hmm. forget that. I don't think, I don't think I've cried so hard ever when I read a book, you know, for someone I didn't meet and an experience that I didn't have. Um, but you articulated it and there's so much of, of, I don't want to call it judgment, but people seem to think like you've had enough time to get over it or you should be doing this at this point or it's time to move on. Oh, I think we got to go to commercial break. When we come back from commercial break, we're going to talk more with Suki Forbes. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn Lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be, I'm Free, with Minister Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, 
Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, military moms, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Hamp Boyd has the day off. We are talking today with Suki Forbes. She wrote a book about grief. Uh, it's called The Angel in My Pocket. You can pick it up just about anywhere. Barnes & Nobles, Amazon has it. There's a Kindle edition. Um, there's, you know, just Google. Uh, Suki is spelled S-U-K-E-Y-F-O-R-B-E-S. If you're struggling with grief, particularly the loss of a loved one, she lost her, her middle child, Charlotte, um, and she she talks quite openly about the process that she went through. And Suki, one of the things that we're talking about before the break, and one of the, the reasons that I recommend your book, I think not a week goes by, Suki, that I don't recommend your book to somebody, um, is that you talk very openly about your own grief process, uh, because there's so much information out there about well at the one year mark or this is what you should feel at three months or you know he's dead and buried he's gone you know she's she's crossed over and then you know you get into of course all these you know different religious beliefs afterlife beliefs and opinions so it gets really tangled I think for people who are already uh, going through the grief process which is confusing at best yeah I agree and um, I think that we a lot of us are timeline type people and I real I do remember early in the process wanting someone to just basically hand me a timeline and say okay so this is what's going to happen next week and then in one month you're going to feel this way and then um, in three months this and six months and then one year and oh for sure you'll be done by 18 months and you need to be doing x x and x and first of all those timelines if they exist they're complete hogwash. There's no real timeline for grief. I mean, it just, it happens as it happens. I will, I will say that although I, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is held up um, in high regard in the bereavement community, she was the founder of hospice, and she came up with the five stages of grief. I clung to that, as do a lot of people who have lost loved ones. Um, and those five stages are um, shock, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. And I may have the order wrong, but there are five of them, and you don't necessarily move through them in a linear fashion. But here's the thing. People go through them at a different rate, and here's the other thing. Not everybody goes through every phase. So it really is a unique process. And we talked about this in the first part of the show, that um, it, we don't all come into grief with a blank slate. People, Some people come in and they're terribly depressed, and they've been caring for a loved one for years, or they've been missing somebody, and or this came from out of, or this illness or this death and loss came from out of nowhere. So we all start at a different place, and we all come through it at a different place. The point is we do ultimately come through, but I think we as human beings, and particularly as Americans, are so good at making ourselves wrong at every turn and saying, oh, I really, it's three months, I should be up and out, I should be wearing, you know, normal clothes again, or if you're maybe a, from a different culture, I should be wearing all black for a certain period of time. And while some of those cultural expectations are important to the process, it's really, really critical that we pay attention to we're through it when we're through it. And for some people, 
it could be really fast. I mean, shockingly fast. And for other people, it could take years. And we need to be really careful about not putting, first and foremost, huge amounts of pressure on ourselves and then imposing that on other people. Because, again, we all go through it at a different rate. And that, um, I say that now mostly because I learned that that was really hard for me personally. I wanted the timeline. I wanted to somebody, somebody to check off the box like, okay, well, she's been through the anger, and now she's moving into this. And grief doesn't work that way. And that made it hard. I felt wrong all the time. On top of being sad and struggling, I felt wrong. Well, and I'm going to, like, you know, throw some more chips in the fire here because in the part of feeling wrong, what I, my experience with the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross book um, on death and dying, which is a good book and it is very interesting and it raises a lot of good points, but it didn't cover some of the other feelings that I had, you know, that weren't primary, you know, it, you know, because it seems like there's only these six feelings you're supposed to have. My mom was terminally ill for a long time and I cared for her and there was a mixture of emotion in me the day she she finally passed Suki I felt relief I was mm-hmm. so relieved that she wasn't in pain anymore I was so relieved because I was feeling helpless for so long then I felt completely selfish and completely guilty because nobody ever told me especially at the end of a long terminal illness that you might feel relief and that's okay because that's a natural human emotion. You're feeling relief from the stress, not relief that your loved one died. And, you know, but of course there's nothing explaining that out there, you know? And so I felt a lot of pressure to conform to the Elizabeth Kubler Ross model of these things. Um, And I just, I just go ahead. Well, you know, one thing that's really important to bear in mind about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is those five stages. Again, she founded the hospice movement, and those five stages were written for people who were facing their own death. And so they don't fully apply to people who are facing the death of a loved one in the same way. And it's interesting that you bring up that sense of relief. I didn't have that because I lost my daughter very suddenly, but I know a lot of people who have sat by the bedside of people who've had protracted illnesses or who have been in terrible shape, they have felt almost euphoric and haven't known what to do with that. And it is, it's really, um, it sounds like it's just a sense of relief. And then, of course, the guilty feelings come crashing down. And I want to add to that that no one ever told me going into grief that it was not going to be unrelenting. It's kind of like being in labor if you're a woman and having a baby. You're in excruciating pain when you're having the contractions. And then all of a sudden you feel completely okay for a short period of time. It might be three seconds, but it's gone completely. And, and similarly, I almost had a harder time when I would laugh, when something would make me, make me would, I would be entertained by something one of my children did, or I would see something funny, and I would giggle. I, and, and almost within seconds, sometimes a nanosecond initially, it would all come crashing down on me. Again, that horrible self-talk, how could you? So what's wrong with you for laughing at a time like this? But our bodies are not equipped to handle that level of misery unrelentingly. Our bodies are programmed to be resilient, and death is actually a part of life. We all experience it, and it's been happening 
since the beginning of, of time. And we all have the ability to be resilient. And, I, you know, one of my personal issues with, uh, particularly in America, is I do think it's wonderful the permission that has been given by the, the community in terms of uh, psychotherapy and the people who, who uh, therapists who look after the bereaved. Um, there's been a lot of permission to, it takes as long as it takes, and be sad for as long as you need to be. But it also, I think the subtle message along with that is negative in that it may allow some of us to be there longer than we need to be. And I'm sorry for that. I know that uh, my personal process, when I chose to find a way to live again, I felt as though I was being disloyal to my daughter, that I must have some issue with attachment um, if I wasn't willing to be miserable for the rest of my life, that there must be something wrong with me. But in fact, we are meant to be better someday. Most people are better and learn to get back into the flow of life and are okay at some point. But I do think that many of us spend maybe more time than we need to because we are feeling as though we ought to. And I'm sorry for that. Well, I think, you know, you're right on with that because, you know, when you give permission, you know, and and you don't take the full time as you, you know, like, as I put it, like, you know, I have one friend of mine, our mothers died at the same time. And, you know, within a couple months, she was, you know, fine, rocking out, doing her thing, dating, uh, you know, I was still struggling. And and there was part of me that was like, well, what is wrong with her? Then what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And why, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a mean judgment. It was, and it was probably a little jealousy too, because you know, grief is really painful mm-hmm. and it's not something you can avoid. Like it pops up, you know, like it would pop up in church or pop up <laughs> at a school event. You know, I, I burst into tears when they played my mom's favorite song, my, my kid's school concert. And, you know, I just, wow, like, you know, mm. tears all over the place. You know, you can't predict it. And it's, it's, it's always hovering there too, you know, and that's one thing that, I thought it would get less in like little grades, like clouds floating away or, you know, something fading away. And it didn't, it, it faded in chunks. It was like, I remember the morning I woke up and I didn't feel like, like the life was crushed out of me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that felt really strange going, Hmm. I do oh, remember. I, I agree with you completely. I rem- I measured for a long time my progress by how long it took me in the morning in those moments when I first woke up, how long it took me, you know, there's, um, I'm going to butcher the expression, but Ralph Waldo Emerson has some expression that's just sort of like greet the morning for what it is. And so much is beautiful. I got to put you on hold, Suki. We're going to go to commercial break. We'll be right back. And we're going to talk about that waking up moment and grief and your quote when we get back from the break. This is, Um, Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck. Our guest today is Suki Forbes. You can look her up, S-U-K-E-Y-F-O-R-B-E-S. And her, her book is called The Angel in My Pocket.
Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be, I'm Free, with Minister Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off. We're visiting today with Suki Forbes, author of The Angel in My Pocket, and we're talking about grief. And for those of you that missed the first half of the show, feel free to check us out on iTunes under Military Mom Talk Radio. You can go to the .com by the same name, or you can go to Global Broadcasting Network's Texas station, Toginet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com. For this and more other shows like this, uh, Suki, before we went to break, we were talking about that awful feeling in the morning like you wake up and there's like this little pocket where you just start to wake up and you feel good and then to me it was like a thunderstorm rolling in or an elephant sitting on my chest that would just go oh that's right this happened and you were talking a little bit about experiencing that same feeling as well yeah, and I, I, I think that's not a, a not an atypical experience for a lot of us um, we would you know, I would wake up in the morning in that, that those beautiful moments. I was about to, to share a quote by Emerson that says, hear what the morning says and believe it that. And I do think that the morning, there's something about the rising sun and the promise of a day. 
uh, I suppose some of us who aren't morning people aren't as enthusiastic in the morning, but that tends to be a good time for me. And so I would wake up and sometimes it would be a nanosecond and all of a sudden that crushing weight. Um, I think I refer to it in the angel in my pocket as the crushing weight of the knapsack filled with rocks coming down and that kicked in the gut feeling of she's gone and all is so not right with the world. And I really, I kept track of how I was doing in my grief by how long it took for that feeling to set in. And Over time, slowly, it would be longer and longer. And eventually, I mean, you know, it would be seconds. And I'm almost 11 years out. um, But I, I still think of Charlotte, I'm sure, within the first hour of being awake every day. But it's not sad, usually. Um... I wanted to go back just a second. Another thing that we talked about in the first half was that there was an, there's an expectation by so many people that over time the grief will, will lessen in intensity. And it does, in my opinion, in ways, but we, we meet what, mostly what happens is I think we become better able at knowing what our triggers are. And so we avoid hearing the songs that would trigger it or going to the section in the grocery store where they carry the frozen peas that your child liked so much or any of those those things that tend to trigger it we avoid them if we can but they still come and they and they cut right to the bone and having said that i remember being in the early stages of grief and hearing people say things like that and i was horrified to think that in 30 years' time, I might be still gutted by these thoughts so much so that I couldn't move forward. And so I really want to say, and I really hope that people are listening, that although that is in fact true, that there is an equal and opposite reaction and an ability, if we give ourselves permission, to also have such a powerful, strong, wonderful life experience that goes along with that, that we learn from being so close to death and so close to grief. And those two in some way balance out so that life really does get really good again if we let it. And that piece was missing for me when I was going through the early stages, and I still believe that piece is missing in a lot of messages of people who talk about grief. I agree completely. I mean, I I think about um, you know I'm I'm let's say almost four years out. So you know when I look back, and it, it the pain. It doesn't take my breath away like it did in the beginning, but somebody used a phrase recently, and I, I wish I could remember who said it um, so I could give him credit, but she says, you just learn to sit with it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's almost like being punched in the arm over and over. My, my elder brother <laughs> punched me in the arm all the time. You know, the first couple of times I was like, ow, like what's wrong with you? And then I would be like, oh, it's just Steve punching me in the arm. Still hurts, still right. awful, still things, but you recognize it. So it's not like, I don't think people, when they talk about grief, um, really talk about how it can just lay you out, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in the beginning, like that was the thing that was so shocking to me. The first time I experienced, uh, grief, um, 
you know, just unbelievable grief. And then, so when my mother passed, I had already gone through a very traumatic grief loss experience. So at least some of it was familiar. I know that doesn't make it any better, but the first time it hits you, you can't believe how painful and crippling and just like all enveloping it can be. And I don't think, I don't have any words to explain to express that, but I was taken by surprise at how un, how much I could hurt. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty primal um, emotion, and that takes us, that cuts right down to, to the bone, literally. So, I, you Did know, s- I like what your friend said about just sitting with it. I think that is, that's, that's a real key for um for a, because it hurts so much but i do think the only way out is through and sometimes when people hear me speak although no one has ever said this this is the mean girl inside of me talking because we all have them but sometimes i worry that when i speak about resilience and about giving ourselves permission to be okay that people assume that i didn't go that low and i did but we can come out of it um and there are still moments, and I, again, what you said, sitting with them are so important. I will give you a quick example. Within some, Sometime in the last week, I keep my daughter, Charlotte, who died when she was six, I keep her favorite pair of red sparkly Mary Janes on my dresser in my bedroom. And I probably walk past them five times a day or more. And I see them out of the corner of my eye. Most of the time at this point, they make me smile because they remind me of her. But for some reason, the other day, I walked by, and I stopped, and I walked up to them, and I picked them up, and I began to cry. And it just took me to that place in that moment. And just like you said, I did sit with it. I literally sat down on my bed, and the tears came, and I clutched them to my chest, and I sat there. And it wasn't very long. The whole thing was probably 15 seconds. And then I picked them up. And I put them back down on the counter, and off I went. And for me, and I think for a number of people, you get to a place where that happens, where we, ha- we still have those intense moments, but then off we go. And I, if, I, if I think about it, I probably had a balancing moment later in the day where I might have been laughing quite hard. So it just it becomes a part of the fabric of who we are. And... We need to be careful to not let it take over and yet also to not ignore it. And the best way to do that is to just sit with it and then put it back and keep going. And then it just starts to feel better over time or not maybe better, but okay. Right. It doesn't, right. I like learning to sit with it and it, it, it becomes, I don't know if the word manageable is right. I want to give the quote, uh, one of the girls wrote in and said it was Judy Brizantine, the author of a book called stunned by grief. Mm. Uh, so, and I thought that's a great word, stunned by grief is a perfect yeah. way to describe it as stunned. Now, you had <laughs> talked about some specific tools for grief recovery um, earlier in the show. I'd love to hear what your tips are. Okay. Um, well, I do. There are really two that I think are critical. And the first is to allow, find a way, and it's different for each of us, to sit quietly and to really get to a place where you can listen to 
what Emerson refers to as the um, wise silence, and I believe that God refers to it as the still small voice, but that tiny voice inside of us that knows, and we all know what that is, but we need to find places to sit quietly. And for some people, that's in a church or a temple or a house of worship. For some of it's us, it's just going in nature. For other people, it's meditating. It takes different forms for each person. But to sit quietly in that space, it allows things to bubble up, and it allows us to get a sense of where we need to be putting our attention. However, we also need to find a place outside of ourselves to place attention so we don't get stuck inside our heads. And that place is also unique to each of us. And it could be volunteering at the local school or the local church or learning to knit or many people set up memorials or foundations or fun runs or something in memory of their loved one. But it is some venue outside of ourselves that requires us to step outside and place our energy elsewhere. And those two things, focus, sorry, focusing our attention outward and focusing our attention inward, those two things in equal measure are really the keys, in my belief, to, to finding our way through. And again, that what those mean specifically to each of us is different and we have to figure that out on our own well and i think that's so perfect uh suki because you know the whole process of grieving is so you know contradictory and it's, it's so much of it is you know even the loss of our loved ones when they're you know sick or ill and then we're happy that they're not in pain but we're sad that they're gone it's typical that one of the solutions for uh, getting through or creating your own resiliency is both to sit still and move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, exercise is really important also. I think that we process so much by breathing. Um, I'm, I come at things from a very holistic perspective. So for me, I really had to move, and I was very aware that with deep breaths of running, I, I was like Forrest Gump. I just ran and ran and ran for the first three months. That's pretty much all I did, running and crying. But breathing. Oh, you know what? I'm going to take us to commercial break. We're okay. Gonna talk about, we're going to talk, because I called mine my trail of tears. I agree with you <laughs> that moving is my trail of tears just for me. Uh, but when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more with Suki Forbes. The book you're going to want to go out and buy is called The Angel in My Pocket. It's a great gift to give to someone, you know, when you you think it's appropriate in the grieving process. My girlfriend didn't read it till two years later, but it did provide her comfort uh, when she did. Suki Forbes, The Angel in My Pocket, more after the break. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. 
All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in every Monday night during the debut episode of Paranoia Texas at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. And you will get a chance to win some very cool prizes from McDonald's, Walmart, Geek World, Red Petal Salon, and so much more. All you have to do is listen for the cue, and when you hear this music, call in. That's every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and win those cool prizes. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and Robin Boyd has the day off. We're visiting with Suki Forbes of The Angel in My Pocket. Before we went to break, Suki, we were talking about what I call, I called it my trail of tears, where I would put on my headphones, put on a hat, big sunglasses, you know, go run through the park so people couldn't tell if I was sobbing or just out of breath, um, because I needed to find a place that I could put my grief, because I couldn't put it at my work, I couldn't put it on my job, I couldn't put it on, I had little kids at the time. You had the same thing, but that physical release was is just huge. I can't emphasize that enough. I'd love to have your take on it. I completely agree. Um, I do think I actually have a medical background, and so um, although I'm very holistic in my focus, I do know that we store we store pain and we store emotion at the cellular level, and breath 
and, and the flow of blood through our system nourishes and pulls things through. And by getting your heart rate up and by breathing, we pull all, a lot of stuff out. And I did the same thing. I would, I would walk and I would run and I would cry and then I'd sit down and I'd scream. If anybody saw me, I probably was the crazy lady. But guess what? You have to be the crazy lady in order to move through it. Um, but it's so important to get that out of us. And for some people, it may not be running. For some people, it may be gardening. Or we were talking um, earlier about how um, yoga and other activities are also really important for, for healing and for, again, moving trauma and stress out of the body. And no question for me, that was a very important activity. And I do think even for those of us who don't, go into our bereavement uh, being particularly physically active. I do think that movement and nutrition is so important uh, as, as we're going through the process because it, it's very, very helpful. And, in fact, particularly the food can make things a lot worse if we're not careful. Well, and I'd like to just touch on the physical before we get more into the um, nutritional, but what one of the things that happened to me, you know, and I just like to share this because I think that when we share our experiences, we start to feel more normal when we hear somebody else, what they went through, uh, Suki, and I found that I did martial arts you know, very, very close after my mother's death, I had so much high, high emotion and the, the kicking and the punching and the hia and the kias <laughs> and all these things really did it for me. And I tried to do a yoga class at that time. It drove me insane. It was, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. It's not that I physically couldn't do it, but it was like, oh, the music drove me nuts. The whole teacher, I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. Well, now two years, three years later, I don't need so much the physical kicking and punching and I find yoga to be very soothing so what you don't think works might work for you later the point is kind of to flex through and and think about what does my body need right now do I need to cry do I need to punch and kick do I need to run do I need to stretch you know I think that that's that to me is the best advice I can give with trying to choose what works for you and if it doesn't work try something else well, I agree completely. And one other piece that I will add to what we talked about before the break, which was the two keys, uh, in my opinion, to working through were to, in equal parts, sit quietly with yourself and listen to what you need and what comes up for you and to also then find another project or place to focus your energy outside of yourself. And that requires a lot of being open-minded because so often for us when we are in these dark places what used to work doesn't work and just like you said for you the martial arts was a comfortable place for you in your uh, initially in your grief um, I loved yoga and somebody else might like something else and then you sh- you and then over time it may shift but it's really important to be open minded because we never know what's going to resonate but something will we are we are predisposed to be okay if we give our permission ourselves permission to at some point but we need to be really proactive about 
trying on new things. So maybe it never worked to walk before, but maybe now you need to find a friend to walk with three times a week. Or maybe you always loved yoga and now you can't sit quietly. Um, and so maybe you need to go do some karate classes or whatever it is. But open-mindedness, uh, willingness to, con- to try on anything is really important to the process of healing. It makes things go much more smoothly and much more quickly, in my belief. It does. It does. And it, I think that goes for foods, too. I know, you know, you have a medical background, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this. But some of the comfort foods or the foods that reminded me of my mom, you know, in the very beginning, I couldn't even cook them without falling apart. If I would smell them, it would trigger something. And then later on, I found that, you know, I could cook those things without it. But I found that choosing foods that were easy for my body to digest helped me a ton because because grief really, I know it puts you through the emotional ringer, but it is physically exhausting. Yeah. It really is physically exhausting. And, you know, before I get on my nutritional high horse, I have to come completely clean and say that there are a lot of things that fall through the cracks when you are just laid bare by grief. And when getting out of bed and even brushing your teeth and putting on sweatpants is about the best you can do. And one of those things in my house was cooking. Uh, you know, there was, as is so often the case, the community wants to be very helpful, and they deliver meals, and we had many meals delivered. And I was so appreciative of it. And yet even taking the foil off of the casserole and sticking it in the oven to heat it up, I remember it was such a hard thing to do, and cutting open the bag of lettuce to make the salad. I mean, it's crazy how little tasks become so hard to to tackle. So we spent a lot of time eating really bad food and pizza and, and takeout food for a long time, and I get major bad mom points in terms of nutrition for my children. But you just got to do whatever it takes to get through the day. And so if you are in that mode, if there's some mom out there listening who's like just happy to get a, you know, Pizza Hut pizza on the table, you know, good for you. That's food and that counts as nutrition. However, having said that, in a perfect world, it is really important to feed our bodies because when we break down, we end up getting sick. And when we get sick, we can't face anything with um, at our best. And so eating nutritious meals and being focused on that is ever more important when, when we're grieving. Well, and it's funny you say that because my nutritionist friend Rona was all over me at that time going, you know, it's so important you put good food in your body right now. Your body needs that. She's like, mm-hmm. leave the laundry. She's like, so what if the kids' rooms are a mess? You know, they're not going to die because there's, you know, clothes on the floor and, you know, let us come in. And, you know, I remember my friend Carrie came in and folded my laundry and I was so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um for that. And, and, you know, because it sounds silly, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I I just couldn't. I don't know what 
you know, was going on at that time. But I want other people to know that it's okay to feel that way. And then to ask your friends for help, because one of the things I found uh, unique, and we only have a couple minutes uh, till the end of the show, but going through my own grief, then witnessing, you know, my friend Janet's grief when her son died, it was an interesting kind of dichotomy for me, because I wanted to be helpful to her. There was nothing I could do to ease her pain. But had I thought about it, I could have folded her laundry, like, you know, and she couldn't even tell me what she needed. So, you know, it's kind of a circle. Well, that's one of the key things, actually. And on my website, I have some, I, I, there is one, actually, one um, sheet on ha- ways to help somebody who is bereaved. So many people want to help. I mean, it's a, it's a human, it's a wonderful experience um, how many people reach out. It's, you really do feel embraced. It's a horrible way to feel embraced by your community. But I can't tell you how many people said, um, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah, I couldn't even think straight. I had no idea. It's so important to just proactively show up if you know somebody who has suffered a loss, to call up and not just say, what can I do, but say, um, our kids play baseball together on Tuesday and Thursday at 3 o'clock. I'm going to drive your kids for the next three weeks. Does that work for you? Because a basic yes or no is fine. And, you know, and can I bring dinner those nights? And then make sure you bring it early and you tell them what's going to happen. But those are the kind of offers that really matter. And, again, showing up, just like you said, Sandra, and doing laundry. But, but asking someone what they want doesn't work. You have to actually call and say things like, I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need milk? Do you need butter? Do you have dinner for tonight? That people can respond to. But I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Even that um, leaves it too open. So the more specific the offer, the better the better able the grieved bereaved person is to sort of take you up on it. You know, taking your kids shopping for back to school supplies, all of those day to day things that we just do day in and day out as moms are exhausting, especially when you're grieving. And so if we can help each other with those, that's a really – and be very explicit about it. That's, that's a wonderful gift to give somebody who's going through grief. Well, Suki, I want to thank you for being our guest today, for giving us these great tips. One more tip I'd like to add uh, with respect to offering, you know, for help like that is to remind yourself that the person who's going under extreme grief conditions gets easily confused, forgets a lot. So if you offer to help and, you know, things get messed up, just know that that's part of the process. Suki Forbes, an angel in my pocket, available where most books are sold, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble check it out it's a wonderful gift it's a great gift to yourself especially when you're going through the grief process which touches all of our hearts this is sandra beck for military mom talk radio more next week